Hello, welcome to the Call it Like I See It podcast. I'm James Keys, and in this episode of Call it Like I See It, we're going to take a look at the controversy that's been taking place at Northwestern University this month, and it involves allegations of like sexual assault-style hazing and a fired coach and apparent t- attempt before that happened to sweep things under the rug. And also a student newspaper that blew up the possibility of sweeping it under the rug and immediately changed the calculation on what kind of accountability was going to be necessary. And later on, we're going to consider who should be paying to get the lead out of our old telecommunications lines, telecommunication transmissions lines, in light of recent reports that AT&T's stock and other telecom companies have been falling over concerns that they're going to be stuck footing that bill. Joining me today is a man who, if you know him well, you could say he is a lot like paper planes. Tunde Ogunlana. Tunde, are you ready to show the people why no one has swagger like us? Yeah, but the paper plane thing, I'm not sure, bro. Does that mean <laughs> it means I either get folded real easy? <laughs> which I'm not sure how I feel about that. Um <laughs> I can glide and coast. I can be cool with that. Or I burn easy. I mean, I, you know, you, 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 you got to explain that one to me offline. <laughs> uh, no explanation. I just let it, let it ride. <laughs> now, we're recording this on July 17th, 2023. And last week, Pat Fitzgerald was fired as the head football coach at Northwestern following allegations of hazing within his program that he knew about and possibly endorsed. Now, this followed a review or the review of a report from an independent law firm based on a six-month investigation that included over 50 interviews, you know, with the leadership reviewing that. And after they reviewed it, the president of the university, Michael Schill, determined that Fitzgerald should be suspended for two weeks. And then three days later, after some of the allegations that were, after some of the allegations as far as the hazing and the sexual nature and all this other stuff went public, the president reversed course and fired Fitzgerald. Like, so he decided to suspend him on Friday. And then on Monday, after things get publicized, he fires him, you know, three days later. And, you know, this is something pretty notable. Fitzgerald is, is a legend at that school. He played there, part of their best teams ever. He's coached there. He's never left. You know, he's had opportunities to get better, better jobs and it was very loyal. So it's, it's quite a shakeup. It's not just a, a guy passing in the night. But nonetheless, there's a lot here. And so, Tunde, what, what stands out to you about the situation? You know, they, like what stands out to you most, I should say, because we'll get into a few as- aspects of this. Yeah, I mean, I'll say the most is that from 30,000 feet would be this is another example of kind of a big bureaucratic style organization, this time being a, a large university that, that has a good name and in football world in a good conference, in the Big Ten Conference. And an that, academic that is, institution that's you know, very well, that's highly thought of. Yeah. Big, big university in terms of, you know, it's good all around in that way, right? Good, good academics, good athletics. But, um, and, you know, um, and I know we'll get into the details, but, but they tried to cover something up that I think not only most of us uh, in terms of the audience listening or people that read the story, just in digesting it in the regular media, would probably not want to go through personally or have our kids go through. I think most of the people, probably including the, you know, the university president, I'll, I'll just guess here, they probably wouldn't condone this at an individual level. And so what stands out to me here is it's another example where Sometimes this groupthink in a bureaucracy where people are more protected in, sorry, more interested in protecting either the brand of the bureaucracy or certain powerful yeah. individuals within yeah. it. Yeah. And so what I, I just wrote down three separate incidences of, let's say, the last decade. One was Penn State with the Jerry Sandusky, you know, which was really unfortunate that he was a pedophile and they covered that up for many years. Another, again, large university, very good school, as well as huge football program. We had the University of Michigan, Dr. Larry Nasser with the U.S. Olympic um, gymnast team, the, the, the young ladies, which unfortunately, you know, he was sexually molesting them. And that one covered up by people who knew um, and, and again, didn't report it the right way to the authorities. And then the last was a recent case in May of this year where the Archdiocese of Illinois, the Catholic Church branch in Illinois, um, was found to be guilty of um, sexually molesting kids from 1950s to, to 2018 was where the cases, and there were 2,000 individual cases where they were found guilty. And again, this isn't with a knock on, you know, with knowledge of it, and you know, correct, like not, yeah, 
So as I finish, and just and I'll to pass be it clear, back, those are but, worse. Those are worse allegations than what we're talking about here from this standpoint. A lot of those deal with uh, like adults and minors. You know, yeah, like well, let it, me say this but, and then I want to pass it back. It's just because I think it's very important, especially as I bring up the Catholic Church, because I know that's sensitive because that's religion. You know, as I mentioned, all of these, none of them are reflections um, on the actual institutions themselves. Like, I don't think Penn State or Northwestern, or University of Michigan, or the Catholic Church themselves are bad institutions. The unfortunate thing is when these bad apples are left to fester within them, it taints the work that everyone else is doing. I think you said that well, though. Yeah. Let, me, let me jump in, because I think you said that well, and it, it, it becomes, there's something that happens as far as groupthink or institutional kind of thinking. There's some kind of switch that happens where people almost get detached from the humanity aspect of this and are like, okay, we need to protect the institution. What do we do to protect the institution? And so they make a bunch of compromises that you would think are pretty egregious from a human standpoint because they're th- it, it just it's something that happens. So like it can't this can't be about an individual because this happens from time to time where we'll see people make these decisions and say, hey, we, we don't want this getting out there. We'll deal with it internally. And a lot of times we'll deal with it internally comes with not really dealing with it, you know. So but what stood out to me was very rarely do we get to see accountability from the media work so quickly? Like essentially there is a, they, they had a, a invest a six month investigation done by a law firm and, in, in, you know, interviewing over 50 people got all this information and they said, all right, we're going to suspend the dude for, for two weeks. And, but they were, they're not releasing a report. <laughs> they did weren't then and they're still not planning to release it now. Yeah. And then as soon as like, this, they, they decided on a Friday to decide, like, oh, we'll suspend the guy for two weeks when they thought that the, all the information was contained. And then as soon as, you know, the student newspaper, other media reports start, stuff starts getting out as far as what the allegations were, they fire the guy immediately. Like, it ch- <laughs> immediately changes the calculation. And it really does show the importance of media in terms of accountability of powerful people and organizations or institutions is, like... When they're able to keep things quiet, in all of the cases you're talking about, as long as they were able to keep the information in house, then the the tendency, the 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 temptation, so to speak, was there for. And again, this isn't to say to, to, to cast aspersion on the people that didn't publicize it. Now, I'm not talking about the people who were committing bad acts, but again, something must be going on because this happens so consistently among so many different people where they just there's something in their brain c- clicks and they're like, all right, we got to protect the the institution. And the only way that really changes is with the media accountability. And in this case, in some cases, it takes a decade for that to happen. In this case, it took three days and we got to see it in real time. Like, okay, yeah, 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 suspension, you know, like no, you know, like nothing to see here to, all right, dude, you're fired. <laughs> like yeah. right away. It was like, okay, wow, that is media accountability. Media gets beat up a lot, you know, but that in itself right there is kind of that job of the media, so to speak. Yeah. Well, I would say the good thing about having a law, a lawyer as a partner on a podcast is I remember you telling me your first comment after that was this guy's going to win a massive case because <laughs> they, they said one thing. And then two weeks later, after seeing the same information, they fired. Three days him. <laughs> later, three days later. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Just, just to so, say that a little from more a legal, clearly. you know, for well, me, yeah, let me say, let me, let me explain yeah. that just a real yeah. quick. What I was saying to you basically is that they are, they read the report and then they decided a punishment. And so, and then, so that he gets punished for that. And then you move on. And then they're out they're, they're not saying, nobody's saying that the media reports contain new information that there wasn't in the report. So a, like, he's going to say basically that in, in a, he's going to file a lawsuit or, you know, make a demand like, Hey, you got to pay me out because you already decided a punishment just because the stuff went public. You can't then enhance my punishment, you know? And so, so I've been wrongfully fired. I should serve a two week suspension and that's it. That was what you determined after you had all the information. So it's interesting in that sense. I mean, in Northwestern, I'm not saying anything they don't know. They knew that too, but they decided even with that, they had to ask, they had to punish him again for, for the, once the information went public. Yeah. So, so well, tell me this. I, I want there, There's two things about this that we I want to really drill down on. One being kind of just you know the nature of the allegations and how society has evolved and changed over time. And then the other being I want to go to a little bit more on this media piece um, and accountability in a society where you have some people that are very powerful or some organizations that are very powerful. So, first part, just you were a young man once, you know, and boys are are you know a handful, you know. So, but 
what do you say to someone who look who 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 looks at this and says and so some of the allegations are you know like that that their uh people are they're being hazed they got to get naked they get dry humped while they're naked or you know they they got to spin around and it's a car wash so to speak they got to spin around and have their their private parts spinning around too and everything while people run through it um and so some people, like, I'm sure there's people that think, hey, you know, this is, people are making a little too much of this. And, you know, this is just stupidity, boys, be, young boys being young boys. Uh, but it's ultimately harmless, so to speak. Again, distinguishing from like a Larry Nasser or a Jerry Sandusky. So, I mean, in that context, I mean, we're not 20 anymore. So, you know, we're going to look at a, not, not like a 20-year-old, but a 40-something. But so what, what was, what is your thought, you know, just kind of on that angle of it? Okay, so I'm going to say two things. First, before I get into my actual thoughts, one is at, <laughs> at 20, I would have thought something called a car wash where I got to go run through dudes spinning around, letting their wee wee hang out. Like, it's like I would have just thought that was weird at 20. So I'll just let you know. <laughs> Number two is I appreciate you saying that I was once young, a young man because I was laughing in my head thinking, yeah, I hope my kids listen to this because they think that they were born on the sixth day after creation, you know, that that... <laughs> The world didn't exist before, you know, their birth. So they they, they think that I've never been younger than the day they were born. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, of course, of course. But um, but I guess I thought that about my parents. So I, I was gonna say I but, think um, that's 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 a, that's a condition of the youth. Yeah, I like to gripe about it. But um, but no. So so I think yeah. I mean, look, it's funny because offline we were talking, and I won't name the organizations that I mentioned where I had gone through hazing uh, out of respect for the organizations that aren't here to defend themselves. Um, but I've been through hazing as a young man in organizations and I've never heard of anything like that. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> um, and I say that in all seriousness, like meaning, yeah, yeah, because yeah. the thing is, is one thing like the dry humping part is weird enough. Like I've never been where men are pretending to hump, you know, have sex with each other with clothes on. Then you take the clothes off. That even gets weirder. So that's just to me is just weird, right? And and I think because I was thinking about and preparing for the discussion, like, all right, the concept of hazing. What is it really? Really, if we break it down, hazing is another thing that's very important in the human experience, which is ritual. Yeah, the idea of rituals are very important for all of us. And that's why in some con- in most contexts, we think of rituals are either in a cult, like a satanic ritual, or in a church or synagogue or mosque, you know, religious rituals. But stated but, broadly, it's about building bonds, you correct. know, like that's building strong bonds. But yeah. Because I was going to say, I, I was reminded that when I played Little League Baseball, we had a ritual about which socks we would wear for which game. And I really believed that stuff, that I didn't, if I didn't have the right pair of socks on, pulled up the right way, it would affect my batting average. So we have rituals all over the place. So the idea of hazing in itself, even though I know the word hazing itself has a negative connotation, I think that the idea of a ritual when you have a group of, especially young people, um, in, a, in, in an environment where you're trying to build more trust, camaraderie, and, you know, some sort of moat around the group where everyone has a certain level of, of, of understanding each other, I don't think a ritual, I don't think, sorry, hazing is necessarily bad. Clearly, the idea, uh, like we said earlier, there's now a spectrum of where do you go on that spectrum of hazing? And I'm sure that there's certain things that maybe when I was hazed um, might not be acceptable today. But like, as you're asking me directly, this form of hazing to me is very extreme. I mean, that's my opinion. So I would actually use a different word than extreme. And it's a word you said several times there. And that's just <laughs> weird. Yeah, like, right. <laughs> it's just I'm trying, to, weird... I'm trying to be a little nicer. <laughs> now, I'll say this. This is actually, I think where it really does come to the coach because yeah. I don't have a fundamental or inherent problem with hazing the concept. Like, like I get it. Like you do want, like when you're in a situation like that, you have to, there's a lot of trust involved. There's a lot of you go and I'm going to sacrifice my body for somebody else to do something. There's a, there's a lot of that that's helpful to build in a sports team and sports a lot of times mirror uh, the other s- aspects of society, you know, like the sacrifice, the the, the teamwork and stuff like that. And so I'm not going to be here saying that hazing should never happen. But I do think this is where an authority figure ideally would come in and say, hey, that stuff's probably a little too far. Like, I yeah. agree with you. In the 90s, this would have this, this didn't see, this doesn't seem like society has moved. And yeah. it was cool to do naked stuff in the 90s, <laughs> and now it's not. Like, there are situations where some things were cool then no, and aren't cool now. But this doesn't seem like one of them. And so, like, in ha- hazing, 
like I look at it, you know, okay, it can be some kind of embarrassment, some kind of humbling experience. Um, And there can even be some kind of, you know, like some pain or something like that involved, not like crazy and stuff like that. But this again, weird. It's just like, well, (laughs) there should have been somebody in an authority situation saying, hey, this is what I'm hearing or this is what I know. Like, okay, why don't you guys do something? Do something. Why don't you guys do something else? You know, like do something that doesn't involve like naked. Like, yeah, make them. Make them stand up and and you know sing the fight song or you know do it do it. You like you like people to to to, to not be fully clothed. Make them do it in their boxers. You know, like to, to have them stand up and sing something. What or was like, that movie, um, the social dilemma, when Zuckerberg was jealous of his roommate because he made the fraternity, but that what was his rule? He had to walk around with a chicken for like two weeks. Yeah, something like <laughs> that. Yeah, like there's a lot of things like that. A lot of things you can do that can be embarrassing, that can be humbling. <laughs> you know, and so this is where this is where it does to me come back to the leadership and saying okay. At certain lines, we don't need to cross in order to try to over- get our overall objective across here, which is to try to build a tight knit organization. Like the fact that you got all these people coming out and talking and saying, "Hey, this was this was really messed up. This was traumatizing," means that maybe that that your form of hazing might not be the best way to build the yeah. bar. You know, no, and it's interesting because as you say, it makes me think. <laughs> so one of the organizations I got hazed in uh, was in my twenties when I joined it, and. <laughs> You know, it was physical, man. And um, <laughs> I remember coming home, you know, we came home real late, probably like one or two in the morning. So when I woke up, we woke up, me and my wife, we woke up the next morning. Dude, I had bruises on my torso. Mm-hmm. And she asked me straight up, she said, what happened to you, this and that? And I just looked at her with a straight face and I just said, well, I'm now a member of said organization. Yeah. And she just looked at me and she kind of got it. And mm-hmm. I just said, and I just kind of matter of fact, I said, and that's it. And she just didn't ask me any questions again. And yeah. so my point is saying that, I mean, it wasn't excessive. I didn't have broken bones. Well, but even right? that, but, though, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's not like you came back with missing teeth. Correct. And, like, the extreme, there's an extreme there to taking blows. Now, let me tell you that, something. But go ahead. Yeah. Someone did die in the 90s in the state of Florida during a hazing incident. And so that was serious, and people went to jail and all that. So what happens is, um, because this organization has a hierarchy, you know, throughout the state of Florida, um, we have district uh, deputies. So what happens is there's rules now that certain people that have kind of a direct link as officers to the mothership type of thing have to be in attendance when you're bringing in potential new members like candidates. You can't just do stuff and some. So that's what happened is the organization changed and said, okay, we're going to make sure that there's more accountability, but making sure more people have eyes on this thing so that if something does happen again, more people are going to be, you know, if you threaten more people with going down, someone's going to blow a whistle most likely. So yeah. that's why well, by that's, the time I got that's there. That's what you want, basically, is you want organizations to create a culture that encor- encourages accountability. Self-regulating yeah. organizations. Exactly. <laughs> SROs. You want, you want that. <laughs> and so if, if accountability is encouraged, then that can counteract kind of that natural, you know, put up the, you know, the defenses, deny, deny, deny kind of thing. And then which leads to ultimately in a free society, in a society like ours, we can't just make anything and everything illegal just because there's a potential for it to go wrong. There's a lot of things that there's a potential to go wrong. Like by that logic, we shouldn't drive anymore because there's a potential that something could go wrong with driving. But so we can't just say, Oh, well with hazing and there is a potential for things to go wrong. And we can't just say, but you do want organizations to put in and you want to send signals to organizations that you need to put in, uh, put in mechanisms that encourage accountability, not mechanisms that encourage keeping things opaque and because when things are opaque think bad things do happen as illustrated here you know and this was about to get covered up while it was still <laughs> opaque and then it went once maybe, it became maybe well, we can, me, i'm gonna ask well, you about no, the media maybe, maybe we can have someone send that message to the supreme court how about that <laughs> <laughs> well they're upset at the media now because but that's the thing well, that's the my point yeah the media is reporting on all this stuff and they don't yep. like it getting out there because that is where accountability comes oh, from because and very powerful people <laughs> usually don't like being held accountable but, you know, that's that's why people attack me. People well, start asking you why you're flying on your friend's boats and jets. You know, <laughs> of course, they're encroaching on your privacy. So but this this seems to be another instance where until something's made public, there's just little or no interest in holding people accountable for their actions amongst the people that have the information. So what do you think about how this shows, you know, like the traditional media still being able to play a significant role in our society, even in like the social media age and people, people can throw anything out there at any time, you know, but this is traditional media. This is reporting, you know, talking to sources and you know all the other stuff. So what's your thoughts on that? No, I think, look, going back to 
one of our regular exercises of kissing the backside of the founding fathers of this country. <laughs> um, you know, we like, again, we've joked on other shows, right? Freedom of the press is embedded in the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. And it's interesting that it's embedded in the first, not the 10th or the 7th or the 14th Amendment. Or not one of the amendments so, that had to get added after yeah, the fact. Yeah, exactly. Like, nah, so top of it the was, it was it, like we always say, if you look at the First Amendment specifically, but then obviously, like I said, most of the amendments would you could include in this. But the First Amendment specifically creates a safety net legally in this country around areas where authoritarians would want to strike first. Freedom of individual speech, not to be oppressed by the government. Yeah. Freedom of citizens to assemble to protest against their government, freedom of a free press so that the press cannot be hindered by government um, and oversight or corruption. And just for the record, all three of those, are you're free to speak against the government, you're free to gather with other people to demonstrate against the government, and the press is free to to, to speak against the government. Like those, all of those are specifically there for that, for holding accountable, for, for providing for accountability. Correct. And so, and the last one is that this country will not legislate a religion. So um, all that stuff are usually things that people, you know, strong men will use to begin to dominate and, you know, create an environment that's not a open democracy. So let's put it that way. So the freedom of the press is important. Um, I think that we have examples up and down the history of, let's say, the last hundred years. I'm not going to go back too far because I know that also the modern press is in a certain form. Um, So we could take it back to, you know. Watergate, the Gulf of Tonkin, the Pentagon Papers, we can go to Iran-Contra, we can go to, you know, Bill Clinton, you know, having an affair and that coming out in the press, you know, like the press is there to do their job to hold, you know, put, like we say, sunlight's the best disinfectant, right? And, yeah. and we joke here in Florida, they have a, a law, a statute called the Sunshine Law, that the government is prevented from withholding certain information from the public. So I do think that... um and we've seen it in more recent with things like the Supreme Court, like we were joking about, or even the big lie on the election. You know, one of the things that at least allowed, I think, a lot of the country to just be able to somewhat move on was because for the next year with the hearings of Congress and all that, that was all in the press. Yeah. So at least enough people got a hold of some kind of narrative where they were able to see with facts because those who were supporting the argument of the big lie that the election was stolen, they had every opportunity to deliver their facts too, and they didn't have any that really were able to be backed up. So at least the the idea of those with the truth, you know, that 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 old joke from Mark Twain that the um, a lie can get halfway around the world be- before the truth can get its shoes on, yeah. that that has that rings true in an environment with a free press. That at in 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 the short run, it seems very messy because people who want to muddy the water on topics always also have a free microphone. That's yeah. part of the uh, the idea of free speech. Yeah, but, that's a good point. And just in the just to kind yeah. of say that in a different way, like basically, if if the if there's a free press, then in many respects, actually, there can be islands of propaganda that yeah. operate amongst that as well. Correct. But they yeah. won't be the only source that's out there. They'll just be very, you know, instantly. So, they'll, they'll try to insulate themselves from everywhere. Only look at us. Only look at us. That, that's a great point. Can I jump in right now? Well, let me say let something me, that. Well, I want to I want to get get into this a little bit more, but okay, because the standpoint of the the traditional press, so to speak, and what we're talking about here, really, and this we talk about this from time to time, is the news media, and it's important to distinguish that from the entertainment media, and that's become harder and harder and harder in modern society, which is to the detriment, I think, of the news media when the news media is complete competing with for eyeballs with the you know with with entertainment. Or just things that don't profess to be giving truth or accurate representations of what's actually going on. The, there's a tendency, there is a, you know, like almost a, you know, almost a, a kind of an incentive for the traditional media to try to be more exciting or to try to embellish or to try to present things in ways that are more engaging. They got to get more engagement, they got to get more clicks. But that's a slippery slope because what's important here to me is that there are organizations that could come out with information and be taken seriously and not saying, oh, well, these guys are just coming out with alternate facts or they're just coming out because they want to defend or they want to go after this coach or they want to. The fact that having a press that is still trying to practice journalism is very important. And I think we need to try to protect that. And yeah. in the sense that in, uh, individuals or organizations that are holding themselves out as news, we got that. 
there's a certain obligation that should come with that, you know? And if you, if you want to say you're not news, if you just want to say, hey, we're so-and-so entertainment show or, you know, like then say whatever you want to say. But there is a problem when you can hold yourself out as news and then lie the whole time because that yeah. is deceptive in my business. You know, I'm an intellectual property attorney and my, my business, that's false advertising. You know, like yeah. that's saying, no, 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 you can't come out and tell everybody that you're news and that you're giving information, you know, that you're news media and then tell everybody in court that, Oh, no, no, no. People know that we're not telling the truth. You know, like yeah. that's that there's a dissonance there that I think is harmful to the ability for us to to know where there are trusted sources, which, again, if there's no trusted sources, then what we see is that there's no accountability for powerful people. Yeah, no. And that's look, that's where we are now in a certain sense in our society is that obviously there's a lot of people in power who don't want to be held accountable in various situations <laughs> in various ways. That's normal. And, <laughs> that's and, the normal state. Of but, but with the fracturing of our conversations through the fracturing of our media in general, right? So we got TV, we got streaming. And the we got, of quote unquote news is what my point. Like, yeah, well, no, but I'm getting there go because yeah, go like you said, it's a good example that because, I mean, look, this was a great example was what we learned during the Fox Dominion lawsuit during Discovery. Forget about all the stuff about the text and, you know, certain certain um, um, uh, uh, hosts of shows, like literally saying they think the whole lie, election lie was a BS and that they, you know, all that. I think the, the one of the things that I thought were one of the things, sorry, that I thought was important that came out of that was that. The executives at Fox, from a, a business standpoint, understood that the the eyeballs were going other places once they were trying to be factual about the election result. Yeah. And so from a business decision and a revenue decision out of fear of losing revenue, and some of them even typed these texts and emails to each other that they didn't want the stock price to go down, they then changed their tune and allowed their host to continue to tell lies. And so I think that's a big part of the issue here is that there's been become a new business model, which has proven to work, which is disturbing people and keeping them on your screen as long as you can, whether it be a phone, whether it be a TV, whether it be a social media company, a traditional media company, a cable news company, whatever. And so I think that's what, when you're saying that traditional media and journalists, because here's the, here's the interesting thing you say that. Journalism is actually something you can get a degree in, right? I mean, think about it. You can go to a university and study yeah. how to be a journalist and actually how to discern information, how to try and pick through propaganda, how yeah. to try and it be involves, fair. You know, there's certain standards that are involved. Correct. How, how to many, deal how with your own biases. You have and yeah, yeah. Yeah, like how to deal with your own biases as an individual so that you can try and report things fairly and clearly. Like that, all that stuff takes learning, like understanding human psychology, all that. And so- I have yet to see, I might be wrong here, maybe someone can email us and let us know, but I've yet to see any university have a degree on bullshit, you know, just BS. <laughs> and and so, like, meaning, like, a degree on lying and a degree on how to manipulate people and, and do propaganda. I've never seen a it's propaganda called, it's, degree. It's, it's called an MBA. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. I'm just messing with you. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to cease fire on that one. <laughs> Especially as a business. Well, no, guy. but the business model thing is at least I never point. paid for an MBA. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. But the, the business model thing is an interesting point, and it's a good point. But that's kind of my point in in what I was saying is that there needs there was effort taken, you know, in this country up until the, around the 1980s or in, in in the 1980s to separate out the news media aspect and news gathering and news reporting from the entertainment. It wasn't that people got smarter in the 80s and 90s. It was that the firewall preventing news organizations from operating like entertainment companies was in place. And once that got removed, then things started changing. And you see the, the, the types of media that started to pop up in the, in the mid 80s and so forth and, 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 and on from that. There was there wasn't a firewall between how you if you were going to be a news organization or if you're going to be an entertainment company. And so, you know, I, I think that we can't get the toothpaste back in the tube, but I do think it's something we should keep in mind because again, if if all information that's going to be out there now is only just based on who will click on it and what what's most salacious and what can, you know, what, what's going to get keep the attention the most, then this is something we can lose. This is something yeah. we can lose the ability for and whether you agree that the guy should have been fired or not. Again, the, the notable thing to me is how quickly once information became public, the decision makers completely 
reversed course in terms of what kind of accountability was appropriate. Like that to me, it's an illustration of of how that happens and how that's something that I think, like I said, that we we need to make sure that we protect if we want to to be able to hold people who are powerful accountable for things that may or may, they may or may not should be doing or, you know, that they shouldn't be doing. Yeah. And I got, I got just a couple more things on media and then I got some final thoughts on the culture of the hazing stuff when, when we started with, but you know, there's a couple things. One is I think just for listeners to be reminded, right? Like we've seen examples in recent, just the last two, three years of how, what it looks like in other, some, some large nations, how they handle the media. So for example, I was thinking of Russia with the invasion of Ukraine. You think about the idea of propaganda that, that a whole country was convinced that their neighbor, they had to go invade their neighbor to denazify them when their president is Jewish. Like that mean, meaning how strong the Russian propaganda is because they don't allow freedom of the press. And then the idea that we all know, which is, once the invasion happened, uh, journalists were threatened with 15 years imprisonment if they called it a war. Yeah. Imagine being in prison now just because you said it's a war and now it is a war, meaning Putin finally had to admit it's a war because it's not going the way he wanted and it's stretched out much longer than, than he anticipated. So that was and one. And the reason he did it, just to kind of back it in, is because he wanted to avoid ca- accountability. Like Correct. That's, that's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that's one. And then the second, I found something very interesting, which, which will be in the show notes. It's in, it's in, it's in, um, our, our stuff is, um, in a, a study from an index from the heritage foundation, which I say is a very conservative think tank. Um, and I say the kind of traditional conservative, maybe not the idea of conservatism that, yeah, that's been hijacked (laughs) by some, um, on the far right, but, um, they're the traditional conservatives that really believe in individual freedom and things like that. Right. And so they have something called less government intervention. Yep. They have an economic freedom index and the 2023 index, a big part of it is, and I'll read you actually the, 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 the quick definition for 29 years, the index of economic freedom has measured the impact of liberty and free markets around the globe. And the 2023 index confirms the formidable positive relationship between economic freedom and progress. So a free press is a large part of their index. So it's interesting, the top 10 countries are Singapore, Switzerland, Ireland, Taiwan, New Zealand, Estonia, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, Denmark, and Sweden. The United States is 25th on the list. Um, They break the index up into several categories. The first is free. And they, you got a score of um, 180 to 100. That's only Switzerland and Singapore out of all countries. The next is mostly free. So sorry, it was four countries. Uh, Ireland and Taiwan were the other two, so I apologize. The, um, the next section is mostly free, which is from number five to number 27. So we fall in there with mostly free, along with New Zealand, the Czech Republic, so on and so forth. You know, it's interesting, moderately free, United Kingdom and France. So you got kind of Mexico, Colombia, and then the last section is mostly unfree. And those will be all your third world countries that we could kind of assume. So I just wanted to close that section on the media about that. That is interesting that a conservative think tank that's about business made the case that a free press and freedom of expression actually has a pot, and we've talked about this in other discussions, a positive econ- long-term economic impact on a society. So. Yeah, no, no, no. But is, was there one other thing you wanted to mention real quick about the, the, the hazing? And then I got Yeah, I mean, just really go. my thought, and this isn't long, is just because um, I was preparing for this. You know, I thought of kind of, of the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. And I thought how, like, if you remember, like, Andrew Cuomo and some of the people that kind of came down in this recent years of this wave of the Me Too stuff, that one of the sad parts for those guys, I mean, I'm not, I'm not defending their actions, right? But their behavior at one point was normal. You know, in the 1980s, early 90s, I mean, men did behave differently in professional settings with women and got away with it. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm just like, there was a difference. It's a statement. In, yeah, it's a statement yeah, of just Just like the difference in norms racially in America, right? White Americans used to get away with a lot of things they don't now, just with, with other groups. Yeah. And so things change over time. And I think that's what we're going back to just to just to finish off the whole discussion here is we don't believe that 
the norms and hazing have changed that much. <laughs> so, yeah, that was kind of the, what, what kind the, of point, the point was before. Is that like I don't th- th- this doesn't seem to be kind of a recency kind of thing. Like it's like oh well now this isn't cool anymore. Like I yeah. I wasn't around when this kind of thing would have been cool. You know, and yeah. again that's I'm not a person. That, well, yeah, I don't know people, if it ever was cool. Is my point. <laughs> and, and there are plenty of people that say oh there should be, never be any hazing. I'm not that you know, but I'm yeah. just like oh I don't I don't know if this was the one. Um, you know that that uh, this is the direction you'd be going. Like again, but that's why you look at the leadership. And, you know, like somebody needs to to be able to speak on where the line is because boys, you know, will push things, you know, young boys will push things to the limit and do things. They'll cross that line. But who's the one saying, OK, well, here's the line, you know, type of thing is because that's necessary. That's part of leading. That's part of being a, a leader of men or a leader of people in general is to 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 set the bounds of acceptable conduct. Um, and the last thing I'll say before we move to the next topic is just that. This isn't, you know, this this topic or, you know, this conversation doesn't say that all the media is heroes, you know, or the news media is all heroes or whatever. Like there are bad and deceptive actors across the media, you know, like are like clickbait, clickbait, all pretty basically all media, news media, everything. They, they, they use clickbait. That is manipulative, you know, like on its face, it's manipulative, you know. And so that is that that comes from a lot of times the pressure to to that, that this new financial kind of setup is where news media competes with entertainment. But nonetheless, you can't get confused though with the manipulate the, the 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 clickbait style manipulation with just outright deception, you know, like or outright just we're going to turn news media into something that has alternative facts, like facts that just aren't true, yeah. you know, like that still is a another level of dishonesty that it, it, it that can be an, an entertainment, you know, like I watch movies and people are flying around and I know they're not really flying, you know, like that yeah. could be an entertainment. But you got to be very careful when you accept that in news because it tarnishes the whole idea of news, of, of, inf- of being able to, to, to go find information that's valid, that's true. So second topic we want to discuss today um, is we saw recently uh, that AT&T stock has been, you know, AT&T, as you've told me, AT&T stock is kind of like that's not a, a, a volatile type of thing, but yeah. that their stock's been, been taking a hit lately. And a lot of people are thinking it's because of concerns about the costs and dealing with lead in the transmission in their transmissions lines. Um, and that's something these are old lines and back before they knew that lead was super toxic and everything like that. And so but somebody's got to clean it up. And so what's your reaction to this story? I know since then you've told me that there, there's even more. You know, we, we first started talking about this on Friday and there's even more fallout right now. But what's your reaction to the story specifically on? How, who should have this obligation? You know, is this something that, yeah, the AT&T is using them, so they should pay for it? Or is this kind of a government thing that maybe we should look at the government to try to, to do? And also, the how this kind of ripples through the company and the economy, something like this, because this is a pretty big deal when you have yeah. big time stocks like that taking a hit. Yeah, man. No, I'll say I'm upset because I'm a shareholder myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a little bit poorer than I was on Thursday, you know, at the close of the market. But um, no, and I think, look, it's interesting because there was a report from Goldman Sachs today that um, both they believe both the company and the regulators were unaware of this. Like oh, this wow. really seems to that's why the reaction has been so strong, mm-hmm. because this seems to have come out of nowhere. And the concern, of course, is, I mean, just to go loosely on some numbers, I think they say the total amount to clean this up would be $59 billion. And, um, and I think clearly any company that has to face that kind of charge is going to be um, <laughs> looked at as maybe a risky bet going forward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> especially, and especially leading into an environment that was already kind of um, difficult for telecom in general. I mean, Verizon, AT&T, these companies were facing headwinds for various reasons. Number one, they're dealing with the issues of inflation, supply chain backups. Because remember, it's not just our cell phone service. A lot of these uh, companies are are in the business of laying cable and fiber net and all that. So when the pandemic was on, supply chains were messed up, they were dealing with it. They had cost overruns, they had to deal with inflation, all that. So their numbers have not been great in recent years. And then the concern with telecom in general going forward, like in the recent months, was kind of like, all right, we might be heading into a recession, you know, all those kind of fears that are there in this environment of the rising rates. So in a recessionary environment, you might have people giving up some of their, you know, services like some of their yeah. cell phone coverage and, you know, maybe some of their streaming stuff that that might some of these companies might still have a, a foothold in. And then um, 
And then the other was um, the fact that there's a lot of competition for telecom because of just the way things have gone, right? So I think the interesting thing is this is going to hurt the companies, but I think, and this is where I want to get your thoughts on it, is the fact that stock prices are getting so beat up, my concern is the perception will become the reality that the taxpayer will end up being on the hook at some point. Because as the stock prices keep dropping, it's going to scare off the capital markets like firms like JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs that might be able to give lines of credit to an AT&T at a favorable rate. Now they're going to say, well, if we're going to give you a few billion dollars of lines of credit so you can get through this, it's not going to be a 3%, right? It's going to be at at a much more elevated. So I could see something like a bailout akin to what happened with Chrysler or in the 80s or Ford after the 09 crash. Mm -hmm. Um, where the or the airlines over the decades that's been you know happened several times where the where the maybe the government just says look this industry is too important for the United States not to have it well oiled um, yeah. over this period of time so we're just gonna maybe give them low interest loans or we'll buy preferred stock and then if when it appreciates we'll sell out at a profit like they did with the banks after the great financial so I think there will be the government involvement at some point but yeah you know well yeah you know, that's interesting man because yeah to me like that's that the stock goes down makes it more difficult for them to deal with it is an interesting kind of bedfellow (laughs) here. It's like, oh man, if the stock was to stay still, maybe we'd be able to deal with it. But to me, there's a more fundamental question and that's just when stuff like this happens, whose job is it to take care of it? And as you point out, these, these are important industries, our, our country, our economy, we, we, the world's economy, you know, like this type of stuff is very important to it. And, and, and so, Yes, AT&T has benefited and earned profit off of these transmission lines for decades. You know, or Verizon, you know, own some, you know, like just they, they have they have benefited from these. So it's not un- unfair inherent, inherently for them to have to pay to to modernize them or to clean them up or to get the, the, the toxic stuff out. That's not unfair. But at the same time, at the time when these this wasn't them cutting costs at the time this was the, the, these these cables were run. You know, like this wasn't saying, oh, well, we could do it in a way that that is healthy, but we'll do it in this in this unhealthy way because it's much cheaper. More or less, that was kind of what was happening at that time. And so at least as far as I understand this. And so there is when when society changes like that or when when society learns something and, and, and grows, we become better at, hey, let's avoid this practice. Let's get away from doing this. Let's get away from doing that. Then it's not unfair or unreasonable to say, hey, this is why we have this is why we have the government. You know, like now the problem is that this kind of in case something bad happens, we have the government to fall back on. That kind of mentality only works if you support the government and you 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 the government's funded and stuff under normal times. Like, right. You know, so what so much of what we do now is to underfund the government. And then when when things come up, we're like, all right, let's just borrow a bunch of money, you know, so our kind of approach to emergency and we'll just use the government when there's an emergency and when there's no emergency, we'll just try to abandon the government kind of sets us up in this situation where whatever is going to happen here, we're not prepared for it. We're not prepared for the unexpected in this instance. We're going to have to deal with it. It's something that's going to come up. And like you said, I agree with you that most likely there's going to be some kind of public situation that is taxpayer or taxpayer money is going towards make this happening, make making this happen because it, it's something that it's it's much easier to try to point to the company when they did something negligent or intentionally bad than it is when yeah. they this is just kind of the circumstance that they're in. Like and even when companies do stuff negligent or intentionally bad, a lot of times the government ends up stepping in and, yeah. and helping with the cleanup or whatever. Well, I'll give you an example. Like I looked up just out of curiosity, what was the um, what's the market cap of the stock today? As you know, we're recording this after the market close. And for the audience, the market cap is the share price uh, multiplied by the amount of shares outstanding. And this is with a massive drop. I mean, the stock's down about 30 plus percent year to date. They still have a market cap of 159 billion. Mm -hmm. So that goes back to the idea that let's say the stock went up 40% (laughs) for the last two weeks. They might have had a market cap of 240 billion, right? Yeah. They could have just sold some stock on the market, raised cash, and started paying for this themselves. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they're getting punished for this, you know, that's where I think the government will be forced to step in. Because number one, it goes back to all the discussions we have about, you know, people on fringes don't understand that. And it's more like we say, a more conservative way to look at things, right? You can't have instant change without massive pain. Yeah. So just like you can't get rid of fossil fuels tomorrow, 
we wouldn't want to see AT&T go out of business tomorrow because they have to pay $59 billion by next week, right? Mm-hmm. And so because that would be very painful for all of us from a telecommunications standpoint. So what and I could mar- see, yeah, from a mark, uh, you know, that that creates a, a more monopolistic market. That there's ripple effects. Well, on I that mean, just forty yeah. percent of Americans would lose their internet tomorrow. I mean, it's the ability to work. You know, all that kind of stuff would just be out the door for a while. So it'd be be worse than the pandemic shutdown. So in a certain yeah. way. So the um, so my point is saying that let's say out of the fifty nine billion, because I know Verizon and I think um, Lumen or another company it was basically those three companies had the the largest exposure, but AT and T had the largest out of all of them hypothetically, let's say their exposure is 30 billion. Like I can see something where the government lends them $30 billion and they pay it back with 1 billion a year for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Like that's the type of thing that I don't think would be um, unfair because if I look in their last um, uh, numbers in 2022, they had 120 billion in revenue. So my point is, can they afford to part with a billion dollars a year? Yeah, you know, it might hurt a little bit, but, and then the tax payer gets paid back. And to your point, that's how we can say, okay, we can help a company that's so instrumental that it is kind of too big to fail. That's why I think the example of the AIG and some of the banks during the financial crisis was good because the Treasury actually made a profit on AIG mm-hmm. because they bailed them out, but they did it in a way where they also owned some stock. And when they made money selling the stock a few years later, the money went back into Treasury. So it's, um, you know, I, I'm not opposed to that kind of idea. Um, Versus obviously writing them a blank check to make sure they don't fail. Well, that'd be the hope. Yeah, that the <laughs> you know, like that, and that's you always run into that question or concern. You know, you want to make sure that you have competent people in the government that they're not getting <laughs> circles run around them by the people in industry. Like this like- is a thing. Like no, I mean, like I know the people in South Florida, you know, are very familiar with this because, like, with the when the 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 Marlins got a new stadium built, they like the negotiation was so slanted. It was like, well, who's who's negotiating on this side of, on the side of the taxpayers? Like, yeah. is it is it some five year old? Like, what's happening here? How are we getting such a bad deal? So yes, the, the AIG is an example where the government, okay, hey, let's let's do this in a way where we win too, so to speak. We keep a problem from happening, or we prevent a problem, and then also we we don't take a hit just because we're bailing somebody out, but. I I think the other thing I'll no, mention. But you on know this what point. I wanted to say is, it just, is that um, is, is that the um, if the government were to bail them out with no strings attached, then we got to buy the stock. <laughs> that thing's gonna shoot right up. They get all yeah, this free yeah, money, yeah. and they don't got to pay it back, and no yeah. one else is gonna. We're not gonna dilute shareholders by by making them. You know, issue more shares to the government. Can hey man, you oh, better yeah, give I'm, your uh, you better give your caveat on that one, man. Oh yeah, yeah, that was not financial advice. Uh, <laughs> I have to say that legally. Okay. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. So, but it, the other thing I'll mention this before we get out of here is just that this is also a reminder that, like, without it being anyone's fault, partic- in particular, bad things come up from time to time that we as a society have to address. And like the thing that you see, like all this culture war stuff, is not really relevant to any of this. And in fact, the people that are elected based on culture war stuff and the people that that's what animates them and that's all they think about doing when they get into power, like they're not the ones who are in a position to be able to even conceive, like to to understand and address these problems. Like we need serious people in government because when stuff like this comes up, one, it doesn't just become a crony situation like, oh, well, I'll help you out. What are you going to do for me? But two, you know, like the taxpayers and I can get a, a real deal out of it. But two, you got to be able to have the foresight. You got to be able to have the the analytical ability and not be obsessed with some ancillary thing where that's taking up all your time where you can actually deal with this kind of the boring stuff in government. Like you've talked about it before, like government's not exciting. Like nobody's watching C-SPAN. Like this stuff is not all that engaging as far as all of the stuff that's necessary to keep the trains running on time, all that stuff, keep the the, 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 the banks up and running, all, everything that from a regulatory standpoint, from just a system and a framework standpoint, that needs to happen to keep our system running, this well-oiled machine, one of the biggest and baddest machines, you know, in the history of the world. Yeah. And But culture wars doesn't get us there. It's <laughs> yeah. basically my point. So no, any final thoughts before we wrap yeah, up? Yeah, I just want to say, because I could see somebody maybe listening to us and say, well, what do you mean it's not their fault? They're the ones that laid the lead cables. And I just want to speak to that and say, yeah, that, that obviously is a fact, right? These companies did lay them down, but they laid them at a time when laid cables were our main option yeah. because with, that was the um, cheapest way. And, and we didn't have certain other um, actual um, um uh, I don't want to say technologies, but materials yet. Um, we may not have had PVC back then. We definitely didn't have certain forms of synthetics, um, you know, and, and, and the ability to cover cables with things maybe like graphite and other things that are still just as sturdy. 
to protect them. Because remember, I mean, these are things that anyone that owns, owns a home and has a garden and, and trees in it will understand, right? When they lay these cables, they have to account for things like big trees, like oak trees have roots that penetrate concrete. Yeah. So you need to have thing, you know, casing around these cables that are strong enough that you're not going to have to sit there and fix these things every single day around the country, which is going to be more costly and disruptive to service. So like you said about a well-oiled machine. So the fact is that this was the way it was done, you know, 100 years ago when they were laying cable and up to 50 years ago. And now we know lead's bad for you. And unfortunately, there's a lot of it still left under the ground. It has to be dealt with. So I think to your point, right, like if these all these things become culture wars, like recently we saw that um, a farmer's insurance pulled out of um, property insurance in Florida and the CFO of the state calls them woke when they're the fourth company to pull out this year. And they did it because they can't afford to insure homes in, a, in the path of a frigging hurricane every year. Yeah. So that's that's why it's kind of childish when we get to the cultural wars when it comes to serious things. And this maybe goes back to the discussion that freedom of speech is what's going to allow us to get through these things. Because people that want to suffocate everyone and just do the cultural wars will definitely not be able to help us fix these actual serious problems. Yeah, yeah no, for sure. I mean, yeah, they're, they're not like they're not even interest, interested yeah. in solving the problems. You know, like yeah. it's it's all about sticking it to somebody and everything yeah, like that. And so, canceling everyone. So, yeah. So, but no, I think we can wrap from there. But um, it's definitely, I mean, something to keep an eye on um, because it's such a huge project, you know. But I mean, obviously, and all of us, we expect our services to continue irrespective of any of that. You know, it's like, hey, you know, I, I don't I don't need to know anymore. Just make sure that my internet and my cell phone, all you know, whatever is all still working. So, but it's, that's a significant thing. And again, sometimes, you know, just based on it, and yeah, not anyone's fault kind of in quotes. Like there wasn't someone who said, hey, I know this is horrible, but you know what? I don't care. Let's just do it. Like that's what I, that's more so what I'm saying there is it's kind of a lack of knowledge that led to this more than something sinister or something negligent, um, at least as far as we know. But I think we can close it up from there. Uh, we appreciate everybody for joining us on this episode of Call Like I See It. Subscribe to the podcast, rate it, review us, tell us what you think, send it to a friend. Until next time, I'm James Keys. I'm Tim Dale and Lana. All right. We'll talk to you next time.